Hey guys, this is Robert Malazzo from Murmur. Before you listen to today's episode, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Audible. Audible is this incredible digital platform where you can listen to all of your favorite books and radio shows, TV programs, magazines. Basically, if you can read it, you can listen to it through Audible. So here's an idea. Go to audibletrial.com backslash murmur, and they will give you a free month's trial because you listen to murmur. Again, audibletrial.com backslash murmur. Free month on them, but believe me, you are going to want to keep subscribing. It's a great platform. I listen to it in the car all the time when I go on road trips with the dog. He likes it too. Don't ask me how I know. I just know. Audible. Listen to it. You'll love it. And now, Quiet on the Set. Quiet on the Set. studio of WHUPLP Hillsboro. Welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, a math to the madness. Writer, singer, artist, romantic chemist, Gerard Way is with us. Welcome. Welcome to Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. Excited to have you with us here weekly live on whupfm.org. But we are evergreen, as you know, hopefully you know. We're on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. We also have a website, murmurradio.com. We have social handles, or as I like to call them, anti-social handles. At <laughs> no one laughs. At MSF Murmur, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook is Murmur Radio. We also are. Um, we have this new thing on the website, and this yeah no, this is not to get you to go to the website, but if it helps, you're welcome. Uh, on the website, we have a uh, link. Happy to be with you, by the way. On the website, we have a link that says, don't click here. Now, the marketing geniuses here at Murmur Radio (laughs) decided that would be a way for you to to get you to click here. And if you click here, you'll see something that says, have a murmur. What that means is if you have a topic, I want to try this thing that if you listening have a topic or something you want to learn or something you want to hear more about, essentially, if you have a thesis or a pretext for an episode, let us know. Let me know. 
email us, murmurradio at gmail.com. And what I'll do is I will find a guest for your thesis, for your idea, and I will credit you. I'll mention Mitch in Minnesota wanted to talk more about the uh, state of, you know, weather vanes. Um, do, do they still use weather vanes? So you get the idea. We'll do more interesting stuff than that. But you know, uh, sorry, Mitch. I don't know who Mitch is. There's no Mitch. It's hypothetical. But the point is, if you go to the website, we want to we want to include the listening audience. We love our listeners. And if you download, if you subscribe to us, download us. Get it? Good. Today on the show, Gerard Way. This Gerard is someone I've wanted to have on the show for like a thousand years. You know. Jimmy Buffett, the great prophet Jimmy Buffett, once said, it's five o'clock somewhere. Well, it's the weekend, so that means there's a comic book convention somewhere. And actually, this week, it's apropos, completely coincidentally, yet apropos, that the mothership of all comic book conventions is going on right now in San Diego, San Diego Comic-Con. So it's cool to have Gerard on the show. But uh, when I say these events are mutually exclusive, because Gerard's going to be in San Diego this weekend, but we have him here on Murmur. And the reason why, uh, there's so many reasons why, and that's kind of one of the reasons why, how many reasons he represents. I like this idea. I the, My favorite guests, as I lift the curtain a little bit on our strategy, my favorite guests are sort of multilingual in in their trades artistic uh polygamists uh intellectual polygamists uh polymaths it's one of my favorite words i learned it when i worked for david mamet he's a polymath and i thought what does that mean do i have to know math to be a polymath because i sucked at math um and i still do but no and it's funny math the origin of the word math is simply a, it's a means to express learning. Um, Mathematicians, it's a 14th century Greek-rooted word, mathema, meaning to learn, and it had nothing to do with square roots and integers at that point. It was simply this, this idea to learn. Mathematicians, to wit, mathematicians were not the mathematicians we know and love now. They were astrologers, actually, in principle. Uh, there's this really fun, fascinating anecdote. St. Augustine warned the Christians that they should be aware of mathematici. And he wasn't talking about math teachers. He was actually talking about astrologers. But that has become corrupted, and we looked at math majors and mathematicians through this jaundiced eye. So polymath, meaning this idea of multilingualism within trades. And it's not simply to know how to do an array of things. It's how do we do them well? And today's guest, Gerard Way, does all these things well. And we're going to dig into some of these with Gerard. And and. Thinking about Gerard, thinking about this idea of how many things we know, how do we know how to do them well, left brain, right brain, left hand, right hand. It is about the brain, you know, but there are so many, you know, we could spend hours just talking about the brain, maybe more than hours, <laughs> depending on who whose brain we're talking about. But there is a great myth, and, and I'm, I want to maybe get into it with Gerard. I'm not sure if this is his... Um, pedigree but there's this myth that we use 10 percent of our brain which seems to have been categorically disproven scientifically emotionally 
the truth is we only use 2%. No, the truth is we use much more than that. And actually, uh, I was digging into where this myth started, and many people believe the myth of the 10% brain figure is attributed to uh, Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. In the preface, I believe it was a preface, he he referenced that as a figure, and he actually attached that, that figure to a quote of Albert Einstein. But Einstein... The Einstein Institute never validated that, and apparently the group that runs the Albert Einstein Archive has never found a record of Einstein himself saying that we only use 10% of our brain, but it's lived in infamy. I think it's kind of a way to joke now. It's a sort of cosmic joke, but we use a lot of our brain, depending on what usage is. Our brain is always active, obviously sleep, and different states of consciousness. We can use our brain. And we, and the brain seems to never stop growing. The heart is a different matter. Uh, but the brain uh, seems to grow throughout one's lifetime. Now, at different speeds and paces, um, the, 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 the $2 word I learned this week is neuroplasticity. This idea that your brain is truly malleable and, the, and what information you take in, literally, as we, as we, CAT scan this, you can see, scientists have seen the architecture and the silhouette of the brain changing. Now, neuroplasticity does slow down at a certain age, but someone who's 60 years old can readily, or 70 or 50, uh, readily, let's say, learn a, a new language, learn a second or a third language. Now, what's interesting about, and this will segue into Gerard Way a little bit today, what's interesting about the premise or the truth that a 60-year-old or 70-year-old can learn a second language, now that's true. Now, someone younger can learn it, we know, they can learn it faster and more aggressively and more readily. Now, why? It makes complete sense. The 60-year-old already has a grammatic system imprinted on their brain. So it's kind of like, Unlearning to learn, where the 20-year-old or the earlier thinker, the young thinker, doesn't have that pre-existing conflict. So a 60-year-old, 70-year-old, again, to generalize, can learn a second language. It becomes harder because you literally have to unlearn to learn. It's like, why you ask, I have to tie my shoes on top of my tied shoes? No, you have to untie your shoe to tie a shoe again. So it is interesting, and I, I mentioned that almost slightly clunky, clunky, med, clunky metaphor because I do think what gets in our way of neuroplasticity, but even more poetically, learning learning more things convincingly, affluently, fluently, affluently, fluently, there are obstacles. There are cultural obstacles. There are emotional, personal obstacles. There are family-based obstacles. There are social obstacles. There are romantic obstacles. There are uh, monetary obstacles. There are, you know, you get the theme here. So I think this idea of when we look at those men and women and people you know, not simply artists, not simply artists in the public space like Gerard, who do things, multiple things, polymathically do them well, there are challenges and obstacles. Now, what I think Gerard's challenges, some of them have been on record. I want to get to them, but I don't want to go right to them because I'm not as interested in that here. I'm interested in you all listening and hearing something that we can take away. But Gerard is, you know, I always joke, uh, there's a difference between being complicated and being complex. The next time someone calls you complicated, say, do you mean I'm complex? Which would you rather be? Today on Murmur, we have a complex guest and a really great artist, Gerard Way. 
thank you for being here. Now this. What are you looking at? What's wrong? You, you look good in that tupa. Some people don't, but you do. It's flattering to you. Thanks. So, is this what you thought it would be? Thought what would be? Where am I? Is this heaven? No, it isn't heaven. Is it hell? No, it isn't hell either. Actually, there is no hell. Although I hear Los Angeles is getting pretty close. <laughs> well, Daniel, let me tell you what's going on. When you're born into this universe, you're in it for a long, long time. You have many different lifetimes. And after each lifetime, there's an examining period which you're in now. You see, every second of every lifetime is always recorded. And as each one ends, we sort of look at it. Look at a few of the days, examine it. And then if everybody agrees, you move forward. What do you mean move forward? I mean move forward, continue onward. The point of this whole thing is to keep getting smarter, to, to keep growing, to use as much of your brain as possible. For example, I use 48% of my brain. Do you know how much you use? 47? <laughs> Three. I'm sorry? Three. I use 3% of my brain? Yes, don't worry about it. Everybody on Earth uses 3% of their brain. 3 to 5%. And that's why they're there. When you use more than 5% of your brain, you don't want to be on Earth, believe me. Well, not that your takeout places aren't lovely, but there are many more exciting destinations for smarter people. Now, being from Earth as you are and using as little of your brain as you do, your life has pretty much been devoted to dealing with fear. It has? Well, everybody on Earth deals with fear. That's what little brains do. What are little brains? That's what we call you folks behind your back. <laughs> Forgive me. Who are you? Well, I'm just like you. I was on Earth a long time ago. But I advanced. I moved forward. I got over my fears, and I got smarter. Did you have friends whose stomachs hurt? Every one of them. It's fear. Fear is like a giant fog. It sits on your brain and blocks everything. Real feelings, true happiness, real joy. They can't get through that fog. But you lift it. And buddy, you're in for the ride of your life. God, my 3% is swimming. What are you reading? You wouldn't understand this. It's just numbers. You read numbers? Yes, sir. So I'm on trial for being afraid. Well, first of all, I don't like to call it a trial. Second of all, yes. Well, what if I'm guilty? What happens to me? Don't think innocent or guilty. Worst comes to worst, you'll go back to Earth and you'll try it again. Well, what do you do? You just keep going back until you get it right? Well, you don't keep going back. Eventually, they'll throw you away. Have I been to Earth before? Oh, yeah. How many times? Approaching 20. Is that a lot? I was there six. Oh, my God. So I'm the dunce of the universe. Don't be silly. We've had people who've been there a hundred times. I wouldn't want to hang out with any of them, but uh, we've seen them. <laughs> you see, the universe is like a big machine, and you and I are parts. Now, they don't want a part to get through unless it's ready. A bad part gets through, and the whole machine breaks down. So that's what we're here for, to make sure you're ready. So what do they want to look at exactly? I can't tell you that exactly, but I can tell you it's nine days from your life. Which days? Tell me that. I'm not allowed. Is that a normal number? High, low, is that a good number? Normal? You're very concerned about normal, aren't you? 
kind of cute. I prefer seven, but nine's fine. Some people have 12. Say, you hungry? I'm starving. I didn't even eat. I had one bite, and then I got on the track. Well, Mr. All you can eat, that's stuff. Come on. Take your brain. It's time to go. Today is what I call a Come to Jesus episode of Murmur. I call it Come to Jesus because uh, the reason I wanted to have today's guest on the show is the reason I couldn't get him for a while. <laughs> it's because he's always doing something. Uh, he's always said, yes, I want to be on the show, but I'm doing this and doing that and, and sort of don't give up on me. We would never give up on today's guest. Uh, he is the poster child for what we want to talk about today, the polymath. Today's guest, he writes, he sings, he plays guitar, he sketches, he draws, he acts, directs, designs, remixes, he produces, he interns, he donates, he zines, uh, he collaborates, he Netflixes, I'm sure, and that's going to take on a new meaning for him soon. He's also a very romantic chemist and an intellectual and artistic polygamist. I have a theory about where this all started, but the best way to confirm or deny that theory is to welcome to Murmur into the Modern School of Film, Mr. Gerard Way. Hey, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure. You know, it's funny. You're hard to get just because of what we're talking about today. You, you're so um, sort of ubiquitous, but in a stealthy, interesting way. Is that a fair, <laughs> and this is a compliment, mm. is that fair to say? And is that kind of part and parcel to how you choose to do what you do? Yeah, I, you know, yeah, I kind of, I kind of always have a lot of stuff going on. And I think that um, I, it's always just come from a desire, like from, from really loving something and then wanting to try it. Right. You know, um, right. I have, a lot of interests and some of those are hobbies and and I've really turned almost all of my hobbies into jobs. Um I still have one or two hobbies left. Uh <laughs> but everything else has kind of turned into something. And I think it's just I have I, you know since I was really young and I, and this has calmed down over the years. I had a really just this burning ambition constantly. Um to make stuff and to make it the way I see it or to partner up with other people in a shared vision. And we do that. Um, it's just kind of always been that way. I've been that way since I was little. I would get really into something and just try it until I could get pretty proficient at it. And then I would kind of move on. What's on the cutting room floor of your hobbies <laughs> before we right. talk about the other stuff? Like what, what stuff didn't you 
catch on to and do you need to kind of do it well in order to do it yeah i think i I need to do it i i definitely feel like i need to do it well in order to do it and you you are right like i have been pretty stealthy about it or at least i've tried to be you know um especially the more time that goes by um you know it was one of these things where i just kind of wanted to do it and of course my other jobs one job would always get my foot in the door for another job, and that's kind of how it always worked. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I wouldn't really try to exploit that, you know, and I was very careful when we did Umbrella Academy not to exploit the fact that I was in this big band, you know, and just really kind of... Wait a second, you were that. in a band? Because that's not in my notes. <laughs> um, sorry, I just I had to make a note of that. Go on. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Right um, but but the, the one thing I haven't gone down that's always interested me, and every once in a while I'll say... Uh, I should do something with this. Um, but uh, the one thing is role-playing games, like Dungeons and Dragons, or um, miniature games like Warhammer 40K, or Warhammer, Mordheim, or Necromunda, any of those kind of old ones. So I, I'm really into that stuff, and it's kind of my only like refuge in terms of like quieting the noise down, besides my family, obviously. But it's it's the one creative thing that I can do where I'm not constantly thinking how like I could put my spin on it or improve it or... You know, it always comes from a desire to make something that you feel doesn't exist. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. That's like the biggest place where it comes from. It comes from like, oh, I want to see this, you know. You are going deeper into gaming, uh, looking at some of your, your live gaming. We're speaking with Gerard Way. And it's a beautiful thought what you're saying here, making something that doesn't exist exist. When I lived in Italy, I'm not the, a religious person person per se, but one thing I was really taken by living there, people had such a, a devotion to, to these ideas that they had to make them manifest. Churches and particularly religious statues, what is that? What is the get-off for you? Is it part of a belief system? Is it simply a challenge to you? One thing I talk to my therapist about, and I've been in therapy now for like, which is something else we could talk about, I've been in therapy for I think five years now. Mm. Um, you know, consistent therapy and medication. Um, <clears throat> so I've been doing that, but, um, oh, shoot, I lost the thread of the question. It's okay. No, the, the idea of, you know, making something real that's yeah. oh. e- ephemeral, you know, making something... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the things I talked to my therapist about is, you know, she, she asked me one day, like, because it's not that... Sometimes I get burnt. Sometimes I get burnt and stuck. And there's all these things that kind of happen, and you really just have to work through it. Yeah. But she she would ask me, well, why do you keep doing it? Why why do you work really late at night? Why do you do all that stuff? <clears throat> and I said, because I want to see this thing physically in my hand. <clears throat> I want to. I like. I really enjoy the process of something being in your head and then making that physical somehow, either through visuals or. Or, or anything like that. So mm. I've always just wanted to kind of hold the thing in my head, and then when I kind of get the box of them and they arrive to the house, I get really excited. And then I open it up, and then I thumb through it, and I'm like, this is great. It's always been that way <laughs> since I was 15 when I was first published writing comics. Like, I remember getting the box of comp issues at my house and being like, this is like the biggest deal to me, you know? It's, you know, it's so cool. I I follow a handful of your colleagues, amazing comic book artists like yourself on Instagram and Twitter. And one of my favorite messages Mm -hmm. to get from them is, hey, the box just arrived. And it can be, Mm -hmm. you know, the most accomplished artist to the the neophyte. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. it's that smell of the box and the opening and seeing Mm -hmm. something the cover art or seeing the, the, the binding, you know, that I could see that as a kind of 
it's almost, is it an out of body thing when you see your name mm. on a comic book? I because it's such a unique totem. Uh, there's not forty thousand names like a movie. There's like three or mm-hmm. two. What is right. that feeling? Right. Yeah, it's changed over the years. Um, like when I was first fifteen and I got my first comic, I was like, "Holy, holy crap! I can't believe, I can't believe this! Like this is a monumental moment, and um, it's amazing. I, I love seeing my name there." And then for a while, like even through the band and stuff, after I loved, I kind of got off on seeing my name on stuff and then that went away you know in a really healthy positive way right um it just it just kind of stopped doing it for me to the point where there's been things that i um have attempted to do or thought about attempting to do such as writing really weird science fiction fantasy novels and i thought about using a pseudonym because i was just kind of getting tired of it Mm -hmm. i got burnt out during black parade with my chemical romance like there wasn't anywhere you could go where we weren't on a magazine or something. I remember being in a Powell's Books in Portland and just like, I think MCR was on like three different magazines and I just got so tired of it. And, you know, it, yeah. so it, it, it's weird. Like over the years, it's kind of, I've become more kind of closed off and I really just try to do the work. And that's, you know, what I let do the talking and, more than anything, I think what I've learned, I've learned a lot of things in the last, you know, five, six years. And I learned how to be a much better collaborator, um, not only like in a working sense, but in a value sense. You know, I I definitely got better at collaborating with people and delegating and, and trusting people. And, you know, so that that took some time. You, you get obsessed with these visions that you have in your head, and then you realize you need somebody else to help you realize that vision. The history books show you're an extraordinary collaborator. I was reading something uh, Christian Jacobs said about you uh, mm. when you did the Aquabats show. So Christian is one of the Aquabats. Uh, quote, really collaborative and fun. It was like making a silly movie with your pals in the backyard. It feels like mm-hmm. we're 11 year old shooting a movie on VHS. And comic books, to me, for, for anyone who studies the, the simultaneity of movies and comics, and now how, why wouldn't you? Um, because there's such a cannibalism. Mm-hmm. To me, comics, I would assume, I mean, they're, they're the penultimate. I mean, movies are obviously extraordinarily mm-hmm. collaborative, but comics, you have to lean on one another. You have to, but it's not just yeah. the writer and the artist, it's the inker, it's the colorist, it's all the people, you know, it's this yeah. beautiful beehive, and you have to be reconciled yeah. to that, no? No, yeah, I, and you know, really, <clears throat> you, you coming to embrace that. You know, when you're coming from something like My Chemical Romance and re-stepping into comics again for the first time in a long time, your name does bring something to it, even if you're not exploiting it. So, you know, things are a bit different at first. And you're, you're you know, and then back in the beginning of Umbrella Academy, um, I was kind of trying to mastermind everything, um, and then that that stopped, and it became this kind of back and forth trading off and I think in the future um, I think in the future I'm going to my scripts will become a little less involved and I'm going to really start even collaborating even more and really leaning on my partners to um, to uh, help a little more with that you know um, you know one thing (laughs) that um, is interesting is like accomplishments kind of don't excite me anymore so like I feel like I feel like I know how to I feel like I've always known how to like put my hands in the soil and kind of 
read what the world needs or wants, you know, what, what, what's missing. And I've always <clears throat> sought to make that because I wanted to see that. I was like, if this doesn't exist, I want to, I want to make it. Um, so it was, you know, like the, the mid two thousands were just like a series of accomplishments. And after a while, I just stopped being interested in them. I stopped being interested in awards. I'm not even the kind of person that hangs plaques up. Um, but I just got, I, it, it, it started to really become about the craft. Mm-hmm. It really started to be about that and the, the joy of doing it, which is why I get upset sometimes if I can't do more things at once and if I have to <laughs> dial back, you know, but it, it wasn't the accomplishment that stopped being exciting to me. Let's look at that craft. And to me, you are a craftsperson. Mm-hmm. I mean, frankly, and first and oh. foremost, talking about people who know a lot of things, a lot of, you know, this idea of polymath, it's an interesting concept in the sense of it's not simply doing a lot of things. It's doing a lot of things kind of well. And I was thinking of some mm-hmm. of the, the top line, you know, someone like Da Vinci uh, or, you know, Paul Robeson, who was a great athlete, actor, mm-hmm. singer, you know, down the line, there's so many great multi-thinkers. What are, the, what are the benefits of that? I mean, I want to look at all sides of this, but I think I can grasp why it's good. But you tell me in your words, why is this <coughs> optimal for you to do music, to do comics, to do moving imagery, to, to design, to maybe potentially act in bigger yeah. things? You know, what, what is the value? What is the add for you here? Really getting it out. That's that's the main thing. And you know, I have a Maya Angelou sticker that I got from a nootropics company on my on my computer and the quote is, um, you can't use up creativity, the more you use, the more you have. And it's taken me years to fully understand that. And I've had a lot of people in my life give me that advice, including people like Grant Morrison who are just like, Use it all up, do everything because mm-hmm. then you will come up with new stuff. If you if you kind of like hoard your ideas over the years, like um, you just, it, it's just not good for your creativity. You don't produce anything new. You'll just be hung up on these earlier ideas. So if you get them out, it, it, it exercises your brain and your creativity and it makes room for more creativity and you get better at being creative. So it's healthy to share. And I guess, since I have different outlets, I try to share as much as possible through all of them because I don't really share too much about my personal life anymore, and that's become way less interesting to me. Mm. You know, right before our talk, I was sitting at a coffee shop, re- looking at a wall of quotes as coffee shops can often have. I was staring at a quote, an Abraham Lincoln quote: uh, mm-hmm. "I walk slowly, but I never walk backward." I was wondering, are you someone who finds inspiration in inspiration? Do you gravitate towards thought? And inspiration. Do you gravitate towards? I guess the word is philosophy. I, yeah, it, it be it be it a quote or be it a person. You know, one of the things I've also tried to work on over the years. I'm also very impressionable, which is one of the reasons I've actually had to get off social media largely, is because I'm extremely impressionable, and I want to make everybody happy. I don't, you know, <clears throat> and that's not about me not being able to handle someone being upset at me. That's a whole different thing, you know. Mm, yeah. But. You can't, you know, you realize over time with something like social media and especially Twitter, you can't do that. You, you just can't. It's a full-time job. If, you know, if you're putting yourself out there and interacting, you know, then everybody expects an interaction and, you know, you become like this kind of comment box that people are constantly putting things in there. And like I said, I take things to heart and I always try to improve what I'm doing. So instead of getting caught up in other people's momentums, what I decided to do was disconnect 
and then really ask myself the hard questions and look inside and ask myself what the right thing to do is. Yeah. Not yeah. what somebody's suggestion of the right thing to do is. I may actually come to a better conclusion than what they're suggesting because they could be reacting off anger or something like that. And <clears throat> I'll actually just ask myself or ask my friends and my coworkers, you know, what's the right thing to do here, you know? Um, because if, you, if you're looking for that stuff on the Internet, you're going to get, you know, 70 different opinions on what the right thing to do is. Yeah. And then ultimately, it's not going to be right for some person what you've done, you know. I was speaking with Gerard Way. I'm listening to you and thinking about you at the same time, and I'm thinking, what is this Faustian bargain some people sign? And you signed it. You didn't know that, you know, you're, you're, you're obviously an incredibly sensitive soul to me. And you, I'm going to say something, you know, in a, in a business that's not sensitive and, and, right. but you can't have, you can't have it both ways. If you, if you're turned on by everything, you can also be turned off by everything. If you're drunk. Right. Yeah. yeah. Is, is, do you find that, that push pull and is it worth it? <laughs> is it worth it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm an extremely empathetic person, and I think that's why I was really good at my job as a front person to a band, because I can really read a room, and I can feel what a room needs, and feel what kind of prompting they need, and all that stuff. But at the same time, it could go really bad for me if, like, and this is something I've worked on over the years, but if, like, one person's not having a good time, then that really, I did take that to heart, and, and it was because I could pick up on that empathy. Or maybe I was on stage and I said something that was a little <clears throat> a little off, and I could feel the reaction to that as a not positive thing. Um, and, uh, you know, being super empathetic like that, and a lot of people are, you know, I don't, I don't like singling yourself out and saying, like, I'm more empathetic than other people, but it is a tool in a way that I use for my no, job. No, I, I believe you. I, I, mm -hmm. I believe that conflict. So I guess my other question yeah. is, how do you steal yourself? S T. I think it's S T E L. How do you How do you create an environment where you're protected and prolific? Right. Do you have to do that? Do you have to preserve yourself? Um. Well, <clears throat> the you know one of the biggest reasons I disconnected from social media, and like I was saying, I really only use Instagram now, and I like that because it's image based. There's no preconceived notion that you're going to comment on anything or talk to anybody. Um, it's not about who's following you. It's just, it's, there's a disconnect there. And I think that the first thing you need to do if you're struggling with that kind of thing, and if you're struggling with like what your larger public opinion is of you, um, the thing you really need to do is get off and look inside, really look inward and do the work on yourself. Yeah. Cause then you'll hit a point where to some extent you do become bulletproof in that, <clears throat> you've worked your own stuff out. Somebody might be mad about a decision you made a decade ago and that's okay because you were learning and you learned better and you learned from that experience and you're growing and growing is painful, you know? Um, so you really got to look inside and that was, you know, what made it <laughs> easy to deal with that kind of stuff. Um, you're also, it's not, and it's not that you're, not paying attention to any criticism. Criticism, even if you're cutting yourself off from it, has ways to get to you. And it could be something as simple as, you know, <clears throat> I don't know, 20 people on Twitter are pissed about this, you know? And I don't know about that, but eventually I probably will because somebody will bring it up with me and be like, oh, what did you think about that? You know, and that, that's kind of like my big rule that I have with people is like, please don't engage with me about something some stranger is 
talking about on the internet because in some degree, like what they say is valid and it has meaning, but at the same time, not having much meaning if you're actively working in the real world and not so concerned about your, you know, social media persona and things like that. So you do, you know, you really just have to look in and you have to accept hard truths about yourself and then do better and then grow and learn. I think that's how you protect yourself because then somebody does have an issue with you and then you go on social media and you see how horrible people are being to each other and you kind of become in a way numb to it or not so much numb to it, but you have a better way of processing it. Um, you, you don't take it as seriously, you know, um, you, you fully understand that what you're reading is just like a person's thoughts really in this mass ether of things. I don't know if you read, uh, Alison Camarota, the CNN anchor, uh, mm-hmm. penned an op-ed on CNN's homepage that she was breaking up with Twitter. Uh, that mm. she said it's become a cesspool of spleen venting from people who think it's acceptable to insult other people in public and anonymously. She actually broke yeah. up, I mean, she quote unquote broke up with it. What about within the business, though, as well? I, I know, and I'll, I'll be very candid, I struggle with this on a daily basis, mm. uh, reconciling the art and craft of what we do with the people who often broker it. I'm not talking about agents and right. press people. I'm just talking about right. it's a tough business, man. And you're actually in multiple. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this today. You're in so many different businesses. How does it work in a business setting? Is it still knowing yourself so distinctly that you have that core that is unchangeable? Is that how you roll with the tide of of you know, projects rise, projects fall, things crash, right. things burn. Is it is yeah. this the same musculature you're using to survive in these industries as well? It is the same, you know, you, you know, because you can't take any failure too personally, like things are going to work, things are not going to work. Um, you learn over time that the best way to try to get anything done or like, let's say you're trying to sell a TV show, you do a lot of listening and <clears throat> you kind of, um, you, again, it's about finding an inner calm and an inner peace and not constantly trying to insert yourself into something and just really sitting back and letting it happen and letting it develop. And if you've got a great team of people doing something, like is the case with the Umbrella Academy TV show, there was a really great team selling that show. A lot of that is removing your ego um, and looking, an idea, looking at an idea for what it is, what it could become, um, and what you have the capacity to do with it, you know? Um, but a lot of ego, I had a really big ego. There's no way that you're going to grow up from the ages of like 23 all the way into your thirties being in a really big rock band and, and doing a bunch of stuff like design and like co-directing and all, you start doing all that stuff. And then, you know, you start kind of drinking your own Kool-Aid and you're like, yeah, I do everything. And it really becomes egocentric and, you you know, so I think social media was really good in a way because I got to hear truthful, hard truths about myself and also really knock my ego down in a great way. Do, do you think, in which case I had to kind of rebuild it. Do you, do you think we idolize, do we revere artists too much? And I'm not, I'm not, I'm talking about 
uh, public artists, yeah. artists who operate in the public sphere, you know, do we revere them too much? We could say the same as a- for athletes. Do we revere right. public figures, these forms of public figures, and I'm, I'm going to talk as if you're not here, rock stars, et cetera, mm-hmm. too, in, in too great mm-hmm. a proportion? Um, I, I think so. You know, um, sometimes you end up filling a role that you didn't mean to. Um, I know with the band, we always thought it was just kind of be like this small to mid-level thing. And then when you find yourself in the position to actually speak to a generation, like, you know, we decided to use that for good. Like, you know, I don't think we always went about it the right way. <clears throat> if there truly is a right and wrong way to go about that, I think there is. Um, we don't always go about it the right way, but the intention was to help make the world a better place. And when you get to a point where you see the world doesn't need that so much anymore and they really want to be on their own and they don't want to be told what to do, I could see it drop. Like, towards the end of MCR, one of the biggest reasons I didn't want to do that anymore is because I simply felt the world didn't need it anymore. Yeah. They didn't, you know, we were extremely aggressive, aggressive about trying to make the world a better place. And um, uh, that stops working after a while. Like, people... They want to make it their own minds, and they discover their own things, and they discover your faults. So I do think we put public figures, public artists on a pedestal, and I, I think it, I don't think it is super healthy. You had to do your homework in public. I mean, with My Chemical yeah. Romance or whatever, dude, you know, you said we could have done things differently. Yeah, but you, you had to do your hum, homework in public, and th- that's another yeah. form of Faustian bargain. But in this country, right. man, I think we hold celebrities high so we can also control the strings in a deceptive way, you know? Absolutely, no. I don't even think it's that deceptive. I think it's, it's, <laughs> it's like, you know, it is what's going on. Right. Like, it's it's putting somebody up in order to knock them down a few pegs or tear them down or knock them back. It's also to control them in a lot of ways. And I'm somebody that does not do well with control. I never have. And that's probably another reason why I stopped using social media. There was a, there was a degree of control there that I was uncomfortable with. Interesting. You know. We're speaking with yeah. Gerard Way. I have a theory, though, as we get kind of close mm-hmm. to Act 3 of our talk here. I have a theory about why you've become a polymath, and it's because you used to be a fan of The Gong Show as a kid. Um, uh, talk a little I bit about... I actually used to watch that. That was, that was on about, I think, about 3 or 4 p.m. It would come on. I did I did actually watch that. Um, and that could that, that could definitely have been something that contributed to it. <laughs> it's a gate, um, talk about gateway drugs, man. That's a gateway drug. What yeah. what what are your memories of it? I, I don't want to over intellectualize this, but what did you like I about? I remember it? people getting gonged a lot. <laughs> I remember <laughs> just people kind of trying stuff, and then yeah, it's amazing to see like kind of. I remember it was amazing to see what works and what doesn't, like what people respond to and what they don't. And you see, you know, that carries all the way to the day. It's like, how come this idea worked and this one didn't? Well, sometimes people aren't ready for it. Right. You know? Right. Um, right. <clears throat> well, and that happens, such as the case with uh, The True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys, the last MCR record. I, to some extent, I don't think people were ready to hear a bunch of dudes really mad about fame and the dangers of putting people in a high regard and the dangers of fame and like, you know, where our kind of society was heading, um, and things like that, like, or, or they just didn't want to hear it, you know, but it did turn out like a few years later, it started to get worse in terms of the cult of celebrity and how that affected everybody's decisions and actions, you know? 
It's a, it's a slippery slope, and you've been on that slope because you know you're saying yeah. that I'm thinking of Roger Waters, I'm thinking of the Wall, I'm thinking of Wish You Were Here, and not to compare you to them or them to you because it's not a fair it's not fair for either of you. I'm just saying that those records, and and then we get into concept records. I mean, for some reason, we don't think people who are celebrities have a right to complain about anything, but that's unfair. Right. I think that's unfair. You are who you are. No, I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you found that? Do you do you find the things that turned you on in Summit, New Jersey, or is that you now? Like you're still reading comics, you're still, you know, playing songs, you're still designing. You've been you for forty years now. Yeah, it's true. No, I have, and that stuff. You know, there was there was a really there was three to four really basic components or things that happened. And each time one of these things happened or I was introduced to something new, they took hold in some way, you know. <clears throat> now, some of these things didn't develop until much later. But the first experience I remember is reading a comic book. I was in the hospital because I had to get my tonsils out, and that was back when they still did that because I would get these really bad ear infections. And so my grandmother had bought me one of those kind of three packs in plastic, three, three books, and one of them was Captain America. I can't remember what the other ones were, but I really enjoyed them. And it took hold of me then. <clears throat> your, your your grandma was, was a rock star, by the way. I I, I mean, yeah, you know, I, wa- I, I still, I know, I want her to adopt me on some spiritual level. Like, she seems like a total <laughs> ass kicker, guru, mentor Yoda. She was kind of like that Yoda for me. Like, she she was. Like, she really enjoyed sharing <clears throat> things with uh, me and Mikey, be it. Like, oh, this is how you sing. And, you know, she would play the piano and I'd sing along and she would teach me that and then she'd teach me art. And she really enjoyed doing art projects with me pretty late at night. Um, like, because on the weekends, my parents would go out so they could have a date night. Um, we live, we all live in the same house. So she would watch us and uh, <clears throat> she would always share that stuff with us. It was really great. It had a, you know, and she was always switching mediums. If it was like pottery or porcelain, then it'd be drawing, then it would be paper craft. So it was always something. And, um, but <laughs> yeah, I have been doing it for like 40 years. So the first thing that took hold was the comics. And that was always something that I could tell was going to be really special. So then I got really interested in art and I wasn't great at it. And I spent a lot of years like tracing Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee and the 90s boom, just trying to learn how to draw, but that was because I got kicked out of a band. Because when I also first discovered the guitar, that was a big deal. So, and then when I found that I could write little melodies on it, that was something that took hold. And then, you know, the thing before the music actually was Dungeons and Dragons. So those, so because of Dungeons and Dragons, like I got addicted to storytelling. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That was it. That was a big thing, you know, the, between the comics and Dungeons and Dragons and then the music, I had always thought they were great mediums for telling stories, um, and especially when MCR first came out. There was nobody really telling stories. Only the artists that I was listening to, like Nick Cave or Tom Waits, nothing was happening on a rock or punk level that was kind of con- conceptual or narrative and things like that. Um, so, so those things always took hold. And they would always be a part of my life, and I just kind of switched between all of them. Um, but yeah, I have, I have been doing it a while. The Fisher King is a, f- a film you hold quite dear. And yeah. it just made, when I read that, it just made a thousand percent sense. You know, someone like Gilliam 
as well, you know, uh-huh. when, when you watch a movie like you know, maybe less the Fisher King, but definitely Fisher King, definitely Brazil, you know, he's put his hands on it and he's created, yeah. he's made it manifest, you know, and that's with Dungeons and Dragons. It's yeah. And the different variants, like there was a James Bond variant and there were these, there was a, Mar- uh-huh. there was a uh-huh. Marvel variant and there were all these other right. variants in this world. You know, this is, we're in the home stretch here with Gerard Way. Just a couple of the thoughts, just a little miscellany. Sure. How do you sleep at night? I, you know, I'm somebody that um, struggles with imbalance mentally. So mental health, even before I was even dealing with it, when I was just in the public talking about it and struggling with depression and drug addiction, like, um, it's always been something I'm interested in because, and you mentioned sensitivity before, sensitivity is a big part. I remember when I was very young, my mother would constantly talk about how sensitive I was because I was super sensitive to stuff. Um and I never really kind of stopped being that way. Although over the years I've kind of learned to get my emotions in check. Um, but, uh, so to round back to the question, just repeat it one more time for me because I'm, uh, I, no, I, well, I was I, thinking, I how do you derail. sleep because of the, pl- no. the plates in your head that are spinning and spinning and the yeah. images? Yeah. No, it's been therapy and medication, you know, mm. and that is something that I've become very interested in is this kind of myth that you need to be in a really bad place mentally in order to create great art. Um, That is something that I've struggled with my whole life, and almost everything that I've done uh, with some success has been the result of a really rough mental period, either in, in a high or in a low. And that's kind of how I used to operate, highs and lows. What was the first time someone said to you, I have you considered therapy? And I only say that because you used a really important word. It's a myth and it's kind of the Vincent van Gogh myth that you have to be in pain or in great pain and in great Mm -hmm. instability to create. When did you, so there's two questions or one question. When did someone first Mm -hmm. said, say to you, was it, did you say it to yourself or did someone first say to you, you need to stabilize something here for yourself? I'm trying to remember because, you know, uh, my parents are from that last generation, so mental illness wasn't something we talked about right. or was valid to talk about. Um, I remember bringing it up sometime around me being like maybe 16 that I would like to talk to a therapist, and that maybe, I, you know, because I was dealing with depression then and it was pretty severe. Um, the highs and lows started from a very young age, you know. And anyway, so. Um, did you have, so a, fa- did you have a family that, history of depression, Gerard? Was was there? A- I'd say yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd say there's. I'd say there's some history there. I'd definitely say that that affects. Um, that's affected. You know, members of my family, and you know, so it was something. Uh, you know, but it wasn't something you talked about, and it wasn't something you really dealt with. You just kind of right, right. were told to kind of, you know, man up or whatever the expression is. And I remember back then in the eighties, it was definitely man up, and you know deal with your stuff. Um, but that, that wasn't working. So, uh, about the time I got out of college, I started seeing a therapist. A lot of that had to do with, you know, kind of being prone to alcoholism and and drugs. And that, that stuff will spiral you out real fast if you're caught in a cycle. So I eventually just, you know, all through my life I hit these breaking points. And when I hit them, I seek therapy, Mm. you know, what was that part of your family as well? The substance abuse was that? Yeah, I mean, yeah substance yeah. abuse is something else that runs in the family. Um, 
you know, alcoholism mainly. Um, yeah, that's something. So, so there's always these kind of things that I was probably going to have to deal with. Um, yeah. What, what was the external breaking point in the sense that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be very candid because uh, I'll return yeah. your candor with my own. I remember being in a relationship and uh, the girl I was dating said, I can't go, fo- we can't go forward, I can't go forward unless you seek help. Um, right. And it was someone who I valued saying that to me. Do you remember that time? Was it a voice? Was it someone who said, this is something you, it's not weak to look outside yourself to help control it, even though right. this may be the signals you've been receiving. Do you remember that time? Was it a person or was it simply you having hit rock bottom? Was there an emotional right. rock bottom? There was, yeah, almost every time. Actually, it, up until me seeking therapy the last five years and being in a much better place, five years ago, if it was five years ago, that was my last rock bottom. So I would hit emotional rock bottom. Sometimes they would be compounded by alcohol or drugs. Mm. Um, sometimes nothing at all. You know, and I'm somebody like right now I'm a bit heavier than I normally am. Like it's a constant thing. Like my weight fluctuates constantly. And a lot of it has to do back then had a lot to do with highs and lows, you know, because you're when you're in a high, you're not eating anything and you're you're just running off this crazy energy and you're never sleeping and things like that. Um, <laughs> and then when you're in a low, like you tend to not move, you become very sedentary, nothing brings joy. You just kind of eat your feelings all the time. So, so that's something that's always happened. Um, it's the kind of up and down and back and forth, but I always hit an emotional rock bottom. And when I hit those, I always saw help, sought help. And the last time I sought help, really, it really stuck. So I do sleep really well at night because I'm super balanced and I read every night now. That's reading is super important. I mean, it's something that I got better at from reading to my daughter. Because my brain never fully clicked with reading novels, although I have read, you know, quite a few. But now I read all the time. Like, that's a big thing that kind of quiets my mind. And I feel like anytime you're reading something great, you learn something and you become a better writer. And it's totally true. Any great writer will, will kind of tell you that. What, um, what, what do you, what do you, yeah. care, what do you like to read? Uh, in that last stage of your day or your night, whether it's to your daughter or for yourself, what what kind of yeah. nur- what, well, what what is the nourishment first. for you? I'm sorry. Yeah, we have this. We she and I have this like kind of little system. You know, she likes to fall asleep to me reading to her. Oh, so um, that's awesome. Uh, you can probably hear guitar in the background. That's Ray. We're working on some stuff. Wait, uh, wait. You play the guitar. Anyway. The, you that you play the guitar. That's not in my notes either. I got to write that down. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs> Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Guitar is something that, that was something that I kind of gave up on really early and then came back to. And then when I had to make a solo record, I had to get really good at it. So I played about three or four hours a day by myself to be able to make a record. Um, um, we were talking about... A, a reading to your daughter, what's what's the system? Yes, so, tell, me, tell me about the system you guys have developed or the pattern or the expectation. Yeah. So basically, yeah, she likes to fall asleep to that to me reading to her. And so I've been reading to her since she was able, even before she was able to voice that, you know, so I was always reading to her. And some, you know, what I started to notice after a while was uh, that I would keep reading after I felt that she fall, fell asleep. I was still reading for pages and pages. And something really clicked in my brain. And I also think it's because it stabilized my brain chemistry and able to focus now, you know. Um, what, what I'm you- on two medications and they all stabilize me. What, 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 how many medications? I'm sorry. I'm on three medications. Three. And 
generally the type of stuff they give um, people who are bipolar. Although, you know, I've talked a lot to my therapist about this, and it's very easy to label yourself bipolar or have a doctor label you that, when in fact you could be showing the symptoms of that due to trauma. You know, that that's another way to look at it as opposed to this is just something I have as opposed to this is something that was a result of trauma that I can work through. You know, there's, there's so there's a couple different ways to look at it. Have, um, have my ever, mind has been extremely calm. Have you ever been hypnotized? I, I have once to quit smoking. It actually worked. But the problem was it was too far from my house. So then... Uh, you have to keep going to hypnotism, and I just couldn't pull it off. So smoking has been something that has just been a struggle on and off my whole life, and it's a drag, and I hate it. And, it's a drag, pardon the pun. Yeah. I just want to say one thing before we sign off. Your honesty is inspiring to me, um, and, oh, I, and your bravery is doubly inspiring. Um, and I hope, I hope you understand how brave you are, and even if you don't, I'm going to tell you you're a brave man. Um, a, gra- a brave human being. Two questions. You have a young daughter. That's not a question. Mm-hmm. Here's the question. Were you worried about having kids in the sense of, you know, I think about this, about when you, when there are demons in one's own life. And were you worried about having a daughter and saying, what kind of parent am I going to be? Should I bring this child into my world? Not into the world, right. into, into the world that I'm right. living through. I thought about that a lot. Uh, Lindsay and I both thought about it a lot. Um, and because uh, we have histories, we made big marks in music and other places. And, you know, when you have a kid, they deserve a fair shot in terms of, like, people not judging them for what their parents had done, you know, and things like that. Um, but we realized she wasn't going to kind of get that fair shot. And um, people might be strange to her or or act other weird ways to her and things like that. And um, so, you, you know, you, I, I ultimately just really wanted her to have a normal life, as normal as possible. And it's cool because she does, but she gets to see her parents making art all the time, and I think that's super important. We help each other through our art. We, we feed each other. We encourage each other. We give each other suggestions. We're very involved in each other's, you know, um, art. And she also gets to witness you know, two parents that really love each other. And, and so there's a lot of love in the house and there's, and she's, she's, you know, she's a wonderful child. She's turning into a wonderful human being, but I did, if you lived your life up until you've had a kid, like you were going to die in your late thirties, you, you kind of leave a little bit of wreckage along your path. And, you know, especially if you're, you're living like there is no tomorrow and you're making decisions from that headspace you're going to break a lot of eggs and you're going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to cause conflict. You're going to act out of aggression. You're going to, you're going to do things like that. You're going to, you're going to say stuff that is just crazy. And, you know, so you do all that and then you wonder how that, you know, when you have a kid, then you go, well, how's that going to affect my kid? Are they going to be able to separate some kind of persona from what their dad actually is and their mom actually is? And you just, you know, hope that you're you just always show them your authentic self you know and then when they're old enough to process things on their own like then they can deal with that you know um but really the goal and the wish that we have for her is to make sure she has as normal life as possible and also gets to try everything she wants you know like i put a guitar in her room and i don't make her play it i just put it there (laughs) because that's 
what I had when I was a kid, and I could always run to that and escape into that. And I think one day she will pick it up. What's what are your next big mountains? You know, what are the mountains you want to climb? Uh, You you know, are are there new pursuits you want to? Or or is it too late to do certain things, or are there things you still want to do? And you know, whether it's running with the bulls or artistically, what do you want to do? Well, I think that in terms of the future, um, you know, the things that I've wanted to do, I want to, you know, the main thing is to be there for my family and continue on that path of like being there for them, um, you know, having, you know, really enjoying that life with them. So that was another reason why, you know, one, there was a lot of reasons why I couldn't see her, but one of them was I didn't really want to miss those years of her life where she was forming. And I, I thought that her having her dad around would be really great instead of just being this ghost that just appeared every once in a while with a gift from the airport, you know. Um, I didn't want to do that. So um, so I want to write a book. I think that is kind of the last thing I could think of that I really is maybe like kind of a bucket list thing. A f- fiction um, and nonfiction? Have you thought about that yet? Yeah, fiction. Fiction for sure. Um, just because I love fiction, I love science fiction, fantasy, and I love books like Dune. And I, you know, I, that was something I even considered using a pen name for, and just you know, create this um, kind of like science fiction. And um, <laughs> so that's been on my list of things to do. I have a lot of writing to get through before I even hit that mark. <laughs> um, and then you start to hit. This is an interesting dilemma that I'm in right now. So. There's a, there's a few different books I want to write. Um, you know, when you have a lot of ideas and they kind of spring out and you're constantly compelled to fulfill them, you know, you you have to sometimes decide, well, what's the one I'm going to chase? What's the one I'm going to put my everything into? And because I got good at, like, putting my hands in the soil and seeing what the world wants, I have a version of a book that I think would do commercially really well and would be great. And, you know, all the trappings that come with that and taking care of your family and TV deals and et cetera. I have that idea. And there's a part of me that's not so interested in connecting on a mass level anymore. And you can see that in Doom Patrol. You know, Doom Patrol is not Umbrella Academy. Umbrella Academy was me really trying to speak to a vast audience um, and make comic books accessible to people. Doom Patrol is not that. Doom Patrol is really me trying to flex the weirdest muscles I have. <laughs> and so there's a book that's like that, that is kind of strange and it's experimental. And you kind of got to, you hit a crossroads and you're like, am I going to do this one that's a little more, a lot more commercially viable or am I going to just chase the craft and do that? Yeah. The post-it notes in your mind, I can just visualize. Mm-hmm. So it leads yeah. me to a little, a little meta question here. Is it mm-hmm. is there a downside to wanting to do so many things? I mean, and, and I guess maybe project that towards someone who's listening to this, who you know is writing three screenplays at once and doing two paintings right. and 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 doing a spoken word thing at night. You know, is it is is yeah. there is there a fallout piece or is this you know because we're also we teach kids decide what you want to do you know and it, which is bullshit right. and we te- we ask them to do that when they're 20 years old which is insane but that's a different conversation right. what is the downside um, to over investigating right 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 well it's, it's like a multi-part answer i think you know because you have like the my angelou quote which you just talked about which is the more creativity you use up the more you have and that's very true at the same time you do have 
uh, a bandwidth or a capacity for creating things and and you know because it's it's a mental act as much as it is somewhat a physical act you only have i believe at least for me i can only speak from my experience i only have a certain capacity to do that before i just run out of steam yeah so you actually do have to focus you do have to pick one and then you try to be successful at the one thing while exploring things along the way and trying other stuff you know as a break or to work a different muscle in your head um you do that and you focus on the one thing and if you get to a level of success either personally or otherwise you know then then you can focus on something else you know problem with that is you end up with a lot of stuff that needs attention over time because you made something that people want to see continue such as the case with umbrella academy you know, and, and that upsets me because I know there's people out there that love the characters and they want to read what happens to them. Um, but then, you, you know, if you jump around, you focus on different things. Um, so that's that's the downside. And, and like I said, you have a reservoir, and I, I think you can drain that, and you need to do things to refill that. And that could be like going to a museum or an art show. Um, again, even something as simple as spending time with your family can recharge that. Um, so you got to... You got to kind of, you do have to actually choose something, at least to, to put a certain amount of focus. And when we started the band, I had decided, you know, that I was going to give it one year. And if it kept progressing, I was going to keep doing it. Um, and that was all I focused on. I put everything into that. I put the art, and that's why I ended up doing stuff like designing things and doing the visuals and all that stuff. Is because I couldn't just do the music. I had to take every other skill that interests me and use that. So I put all of my bandwidth into that. And then I would switch. And then once we were on tour in arenas and I missed comic books, I put all my bandwidth into that because all I was doing at the time was playing shows, occasionally writing new music. Um, when we did Black Parade, I just put everything into that. And so. You know, there are periods where you kind of got to say, you, you know, it's hard. Like I sit there, I used to make lists, like notebooks of everything I want to do, goals, accomplishments, or like I want to write a book would be on it. I want to make a concept record. I want to, you know, all that stuff. But it got daunting after a while because you just look at it and go, oh, I don't know what to do first. It's a hard <laughs> decision to make for anybody that's creative on what to do first. It's hard. And you can't always answer that question. Sometimes you just have to try. So one of the things my therapist has me do is work on my main project, but also hit a point with that project where I can use my different skills. So if I'm writing a script and I get stuck or it's really hard or I need a break, I sketch a character yeah. um, or I conceptualize a new comic or I just, I just move to a different skill set and work on that for a while and then hop back to the writing when I'm ready. Um, it slows the process down. I'm not very, I'm not, you know, for as many things as I do, I'm not super prolific. Like I do take a long time to do things. That, that's um, that's where my Abraham Lincoln quote comes in so handily. Yeah. I may I may walk slow, but at least I don't walk backwards. A la right. la last quote for you, Gerard. Um, are you happy now? I am super happy. That You know, that's been the greatest thing to all of it is I am super happy. I literally every day of my life count how lucky I am and how blessed the family is and how everybody's healthy and happy and everybody's doing what they want to do and we're thriving and we're expanding and we're moving forward. Expansion is scary. 
And I think you really need that, that's, you know, you're able to expand when you've really looked inside and done the work on yourself. And then you can say, and when, also when you're ready to delegate on a, you know, on a bigger level. Um, but I'm so happy. Like I'm, I'm balanced. I'm level. I'm, I'm in talk therapy. I'm on medication and it's good. Like I don't, you know, I think about everything now and I listen a lot more. Listening is so vital. You know, I listen more than I talk now, even though I just talk a lot. Well, um, this may sound odd because I don't know you, but if you're happy, I'm happy. And I mean, I, um, I know the language you're using about happiness, uh, specifically and i i want to say you using the words is uh inspiring and again i'll say it again you're a very brave man uh and you you sound like you have an incredible tribe around you uh, in your wife and daughter and uh if i could ever be of service or even you know uh, if you need to vent your spleen uh just reach out just reach out and and uh, you're 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 a good man maybe we'll do this in person next time and it's been an honor and i'd love to do it again yeah it'd be a lot of fun hey man continued best we are i say pulling for you as if you need it but we are i am so behind you and uh whatever you need if you need anything let me know thank you so much you know yeah it's just it's it's you know it's just been it's been a crazy ride it's been super wonderful and super exciting and Again, like just lucky to be able to do it, you know. Like, I I don't take that for granted, and I and I, you know, I've grown to love the audience even more. I think the persona of being an MCR, there was a healthy amount of disdain you needed to project to the audience in, a, I think, a healthy way. I didn't truthfully disdain them, you know. I wasn't I wasn't disdainful of them truthfully, but there's a there's a degree of that persona that kind of thrives on that combat and that interaction. Here's the reunion idea: do stage the wall, yeah. stage the wall. You, you, <laughs> exactly. You, you would be, uh, uh, you know, Bob Geldof. I could see it, man. Shave your eyebrows, yeah. and you're there. Exactly. I almost did during Black Parade. Pink Floyd was a huge influence. Is that right? Oh, on, cool. uh, obviously. Oh yeah. Well, the art school here. kids. Yeah, I could see yeah. it. So we, you know, we, Pink Floyd was a massive influence. Um, you, you could even hear it a little bit in track one on Black Parade. The end. It's mixed a little bit of Pink Floyd. There's some Phantom of the Paradise mixed in there. There's. Oh, yeah, that's awesome, man. Stuff, that's a real. Yeah. The one job title I didn't say in your intro is, uh, I said producer, writer, artist, designer, but you're also a survivor, and we're better oh, for it, man. You. All the best to you and the family. Lots of love, and uh, we'll be listening. All right. Thanks, Rob. Take care, Gerard. Be well, man. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. I want to be really specific because there's so much to reflect upon chatting with Gerard and such a good man and a sensitive man and so many emotions well up in me when I think of that chat, which just concluded. (laughs) That's how I think potent it was for me, certainly. At the risk of cherry picking some of these pieces, I want to listen back for myself and understand and articulate what I heard and what I get out of it. But it's important this a couple of ideas to separate initially: depression, addiction, fear, anxiety, uh, rock bottoms, substance, nature, nurture. 
we don't need to locate these ghosts if they are in fact darker ghosts we don't need to locate them towards artists only it may be implicit in the episode or the talk i want to be explicit about it because there's no uh yes it's true we do tend to hear and one of the reasons why i think it's really important to have gerard on the show gerard on the show or whomever on the show but when someone with an with a public resume talks about their own battles all boats on subject rise that is just a reality of the world we live in and it's it, it, it's a really intense reality i choose to look at it as a positive thing it gives awareness he gives awareness to the issues that he goes through uh, they're no different than issues that others may go through and traverse but i think when the public speaker speaks the 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 level of the intensity diminishes in the sense of the availability the invitation to talk about it for everyone so i do think it's important you know because i believe firmly it's a myth that artists are tortured or to be if you are tortured you should be an artist or if you are an artist you are tortured and all these myths and yo-yoing back and forth that's not really the takeaway for me from today it's that there are there are con- consistencies of life for Gerard, I think polymath and all these other angularities to his craft, uh, you know, are, are there. And we can't say what if he wasn't dealing with all the other demons. There's no need to separate it. I want to look at all this together and apart and have you think on it separately. But I think also part of the bottom line is what a courageous guy. I want to thank Gerard Way for being with us here today on Murmur. It's an incredible chat. I mean, just uh, so much to think about. Thank you, Gerard. Wish you all the best, my friend. MurmurRadio.com is our website. You can hear us weekly on whupfm.org, live 2 p.m. Evergreen on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, social media at MSF Murmur. Send us your murmur. Send us your topic. We'll match it with a guest and... Uh, Yeah, we'll do our best for you, like we always do. See you soon.